Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OrthoBullets podcast. In today's episode, we covered the topic of knee imaging found under the knee and sports section at orthobullets.com. Let's begin by discussing some high-yield findings related to knee imaging. A Sagan sign is a small lateral tibial avulsion fracture that indicates an ACL tear. A reverse Sagan sign is a small medial tibial avulsion fracture that indicates a PCL tear. An arcuate sign is a fibular head avulsion fracture that indicates a PLC injury. A Pellegrini steata sign is a medial femoral condyle avulsion fracture that indicates a chronic MCL injury. Patella alta may be due to patellofemoral pathology, whereas patella baja may be due to arthrofibrosis. Fairbanks changes refers to degenerative joint disease that occurs postmenisectomy. These changes include a square condyle, peak eminences, ridging, and narrowing. A lateral medial femoral condyle lesion may be due to osteochondritis desiccans. A crescent-shaped MFC lesion may be due to spontaneous osteonecrosis of the knee. A square lateral femoral condyle, or a cupped lateral tibial plateau, may be due to a discoid meniscus. Three contiguous sagittal MRI images demonstrating continuity between the anterior and posterior horns of the meniscus, also referred to as the bowtie sign, is due to discoid meniscus. And a bipartite patella must be differentiated from a true fracture. Now let's discuss x-rays of the knee in more detail. Standard radiographs include weight-bearing images, which are preferred for evaluation of joint space, as well as a 45-degree PA flexion view, which is referred to as a Rosenberg view. Remember that this is best for early tibiofemoral arthritis and posterior wear. And the last standard radiograph is a merchant or sunrise view, which is best to evaluate patellofemoral space, tilt, and alignment. Stress radiographs include a varus and valgus stress radiograph, which is indicated for either physeal fractures in children or in the setting of an MCL or LCL injury. Posterior stress radiographs in an isolated PCL injury will demonstrate 10 to 12 millimeters of posterior displacement, whereas in the setting of a concomitant PCL and PLC injury, there will be greater than 12 millimeters of posterior displacement. Now let's discuss MRIs of the knee in more detail. Specific views may include a sagittal view, which is helpful to evaluate menisci, cruciates, cartilage, and the extensor mechanism, coronal views, which help to evaluate the menisci, cruciates, collaterals, and cartilage, and axial views, which help to evaluate the patellofemoral joint, cruciates, and the popliteal fossa. Sequences of MRI include T1, where water will be dark and fat will be bright, and this is best for showing anatomy, but not pathology. In T2 sequences, fat will be dark and water will be bright, and this is well suited for imaging of edema and pathology. A short T1 inversion recovery, or STIR sequence, is a fat suppression technique. This allows for improved quality of imaging in the presence of orthopedic prosthesis. MRIs are excellent for evaluating meniscal injuries. Remember that medial meniscal extrusion that is greater than 3 millimeters is associated with severe meniscal degeneration, a large meniscal tear, or tear of the root. And radial meniscal tears are more common in patients following prior meniscal surgery. Remember that there is a 32% prevalence of radial meniscal tears in post-op knees compared to 14% in patients without prior surgery. And a 3.0 Tesla MRI has accuracy, sensitivity, and specificity of greater than 90% for detecting medial and lateral meniscus tears. MRI is also excellent for evaluating a ligament tear. Remember that increased signal intensity, thickening, and cysts within and adjacent to the ACL are common findings, but they are clinically insignificant. That is, patients will not necessarily demonstrate instability on exam. MRI is also helpful for evaluating a bone bruise. 
This may be apparent near the sulcus terminalis and is significant for an osteochondral injury. An MRI can also help to evaluate a posterior lateral corner injury. Remember that one can routinely visualize the LCL and popliteus tendon with MRI, but other structures are more rarely seen. And edema posterior to the popliteus tendon can indicate an injury to the underlying structures of the PLC. Now let's discuss ultrasound. Ultrasound is excellent for evaluating fluid collections, so it is useful to evaluate bursa and fluid collections about the knee, and it is also excellent for evaluating arthrofibrosis. It is effective in detecting arthrofibrosis of the knee following TKA, and key findings for arthrofibrosis are synovial thickening and neovascularity. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to knee imaging, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 40-year-old law enforcement officer presents to your clinic with a complaint of medial left knee pain. He states that he underwent a left knee procedure in his 20s following a football injury, but is unable to recall the details. On physical exam, the left knee is notable for well-heeled arthroscopic incisions, mild medial joint line tenderness, full active range of motion, and a slight genuvarum compared to the contralateral limb. He brings in supine x-rays obtained by his PCP within the past six months, and these do not demonstrate any apparent abnormalities. What is the next step in evaluation? And the answer choices are, choice one, providing reassurance, a medial unloader brace, and scheduling a follow-up in six months. Choice two, offering an intra-articular corticosteroid injection. Choice three, obtaining a lower extremity mechanical axis radiograph and weight-bearing radiographs. Choice four, obtaining an MRI or choice five, prescribing physical therapy. The best answer to this question is, choice three, obtaining a lower extremity mechanical axis radiograph and weight-bearing radiographs. There's a high suspicion that the patient has developed arthritic changes in the medial compartment given his history and exam. To establish a diagnosis, weight-bearing x-ray should be obtained. Imaging obtained by non-orthopedic providers is commonly non-weight-bearing and the orthopedic provider should have a high suspicion for this and a low threshold to obtain new weight-bearing films. As a rule of thumb, all patients who are able to bear weight should obtain weight-bearing films to appreciate the effects of mechanical loading. The patient in question is relatively young, and if isolated medial compartment arthritis is confirmed, non-surgical treatment options may include a medial offloader brace and corticosteroid injections. Surgical management may entail high tibial valgus-producing osteotomy, with a disrupted mechanical access and excessive varus deformity. Meniscal transplant may be considered with the normal or corrected mechanical access and minimal arthritic changes. Arthroplasty is typically avoided in this age group, although a unicompartmental implant may be considered in some circumstances. The publication by Amendola et al. reviews the indications, technical considerations, and results of knee osteotomy and meniscal transplant. They stress the importance of a stable, aligned knee without evidence of arthritic changes for the success of the meniscal transplant. They discuss the role of osteotomies to restore alignment in select patients and protect the transplanted tissue. The publication by Rossi et al. discusses the role of a high tibial osteotomy in the varus knee. Indications for this procedure may include varus alignment associated with medial compartment arthritis, medial compartment overloading following meniscectomy, and osteochondral defects. The authors add that consideration of sagittal alignment that is, the tibial slope, should also be addressed along with coronal alignment to achieve durable results. The publication by Brower et al. presents a review article discussing osteotomies for treating osteoarthritis of the knee. 
The goal of an osteotomy in the setting of osteoarthritis is to offload the cartilage-deficient compartment. They concluded that valgus-producing high tibial osteotomies for patients with medial compartment arthritis can improve pain and function in this population. However, no studies compared this population with a non-operative control, and no evidence supporting one osteotomy over another could be found. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choices 1, 2, and 5. This would be inappropriate without first establishing a diagnosis. Choice 4. The next step is obtaining weight-bearing films, not advanced imaging. For the second question, consider the following. Which of the following radiographic views is most sensitive for detecting knee joint degenerative changes? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Non-weight-bearing AP Choice 2. Weight-bearing AP Choice 3. Non-weight-bearing PA in 45 degrees of flexion Choice 4. Weight-bearing PA in 45 degrees of flexion Or Choice 5. A merchant view The best answer to this question is Choice 4. Weight-bearing PA in 45 degrees of flexion the 45-degree PA flexion weight-bearing view, also referred to as a Rosenberg view, is the best for demonstrating subtle joint space loss, especially in the lateral compartment. This is because the earliest loss of cartilage occurs in the 30-60-degree to 60 degree flexion zone, which is easily overlooked on x-rays in full extension. Weight-bearing views are always preferable when evaluating for arthritis. The publication by Colin Harner describes the evaluation of young active patients with early knee arthritis. The publication by Durvin et al. compared AP and 45-degree PA views with results from arthroscopy and found the latter to be superior for detecting lateral compartment wear and concluded that the 45-degree PA should be considered as the screening radiograph of choice in evaluating osteoarthritis of the knee. That's all for this review about knee imaging. We hope that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session from OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on orthobullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the Orthobullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the Orthobullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the Orthobullets podcast.